I want to quickly give you some information about the Adoptive Voices writing group created by Sarah Easterly. As you may be able to tell from listening to my podcast, it's empowering and important for adoptees to be able to share their adoption journeys. I'm one of the facilitators of the Adoptive Voices writing group, where we're all about supporting adoptee storytelling. Cohort 7 begins Tuesday, September 13th through October 18th. Hone your craft. And on Thursdays, beginning September 15th through October 20th, honor your voice. I co-facilitate during that time. Both days meet between 4 and 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. There are still a few spots left, and all you have to do is go to adoptee-voices.com to register. That's adoptee-voices.com. There you will find, under writing groups, what you need to do to join us for the first time or again. Registration, once again, for fall writing groups is currently open. And I personally love, well, no, we personally love to see you in our Thursday group or Tuesday group for six weeks. We meet online weekly for three hours to write, share our words, and grow in community together. If you are at all interested, once again, please visit adoptee-voices.com. Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I met my next guest in an Adoptee Voices workshop about the pros and cons of self-publishing, created by Sarah Easterly. Her name is Danielle Orr. Among many cool things, she is an artist and writer who plans to publish her memoir in the near future. I'm excited about that. When I spoke with Danielle prior to our recording, we quickly clicked as two adoptees excited about the arts. We laughed often while sharing our life journey and both embraced the importance of finding spiritual paths that work best at the time. In this episode, you will hear how Danielle, as a late discovery adoptee, initially learned the truth independent of being told. She is my first guest to uncover her LDA status through a spiritual awakening in the middle of the night. It fascinates me to know that we can trust that some of our truth is inside of us when we listen to it. Allow me to introduce you to a dog lover, a seeker of the truth, and someone I find has found many useful tools for moving forward after being knocked down by earthquakes and relationships. At times, she flips a script in a wonderful way during our time together by becoming a co-host with thoughtful and insightful questions for me. I so enjoyed that. 
Danielle, I am so happy to have this conversation with you today. And I'll first start with how are you doing on the West Coast? I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. Great, great. So, you know, we had an opportunity to talk at length over an hour last week, a week today. And it was so wonderful of a, a chat. It's like we just clicked. I agree. It was really a great conversation. So easy and so many things in common. So I, I want to thank you for saying yes to a conversation for the podcast. And there's so much that we can cover. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this time with you. And I know that you're a late discovery adoptee. You were nearly 30 years old when you discovered this and you discovered it yourself. It is a very fascinating story that you shared with me. And I guess I do want to first say that we met through Adoptee Voices, the writing workshop created by Sarah Easterly. And I'm so glad you were there because I know you were a part of cohort six, but you were on Wednesdays and I co-facilitate on Mondays. So I'm just glad you showed up to the workshop. Me too. I really was. Yeah. Back to you being a late discovery adoptee. Do you want to start there and share as much or as little as you like? Sure. Yeah. Like you mentioned, I was a month away from being 30. I decided in my life there was something really amiss and something that I needed to find. And I didn't know what I was looking for. And I didn't know what I would find. (laughs) You know that adage, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. (laughs) I had had really all the signals and all the adoptee feelings and I just didn't know a name for them and I thought you know there was something really wrong just with me so anyway it was really a journey of self-discovery I'd always been really interested in um, learning about mystical experiences spiritual experiences I was always trying to learn by, from people. I, I just was a big learner, you know, anything I could learn. That brought me to a place on the floor in the kitchen at my cousin's house on a trip, uh, a family gathering, and 3 a.m. in the morning, I was looking at my hands placed in front of my me and just staring at them, and then I just heard the words, you do have a mother, and her hands look just like this. And that's how I figured out I was adopted. Wow. That sounds like you had a spiritual experience. Oh, yeah. The walls were breathing, to be sure. It was fairly intense and unbelievable and and true. I was so relieved. Everything really fell into place for a moment before it had to really deconstruct and I had to go through the process of healing from that 
you know, it had been a secret and it was just everyone I knew who was older than me, which was most everybody, uh, but for my two adopted sisters, my sisters who were biological to my parents, um, but were younger, so they didn't know. And uh, it was huge. I was really thrown for a loop. So I had to go through that, all of that betrayal sort of. And, and then I had to deal with the adoption stuff. And so it was a long walk back to a place where I felt that my feet were, you know, back on the ground. And Quite what, a journey. Yeah. I'm sure. Like, I think that's an extra unnecessary layer for an adoptee. It just breaks my heart when I hear of adoptees learning in adulthood and some well into adulthood, like 60 years old, you know. And, yeah, yeah, I just think it's a tragic added trauma. So what would you say as an LDA what, what tools that helped you initially process that added layer? I was um, fairly well prepared because I had been in experiences where I had been with people who were dying and I'd been at a couple births and I had meditated. I mainly didn't want to be hospitalized or medicated and I basically had I call it a spiritual emergency. (laughs) Uh, I just surrendered to what was happening after I got myself protected by people who I could trust. And there had been things leading up to that revelation. I sort of followed my nose. Uh, I did a lot of yoga. I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of crying. And then I just, I did a rebirthing class. This guy came to town and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I, I did that. That was pretty amazing because by that point I had found my birth mother's name. And when I went to check in, it was just, you know, at someone's home. And when I went to check in, I had given them my name, but they called me by my mother's name. And that was really, I just said, oh, wow. Okay. So things like that. And what else did I do? You know, the thing was, a year to the date almost, I lived in a town and we had three seven-point earthquakes. Mm. And the rest of my life went away. My building just, you know, it dropped off its foundation and moved five feet. So I I, when that happened and the house went and my business went, I thought, okay, I was really a blank canvas and I just had to walk, you know, I just had to walk until I could heal. I read at one point, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her autobiography, and she had had a stroke and she until she could walk again, she crawled on her belly to the mailbox. So I thought, okay, I could do that. And so I really just crawled on my belly till I could walk again. And, um, you know, it was a a long process, but 
anything I could do to keep healing, I did. Yeah, I know when you told me last week that you, I think the way you put it is, I wanted to heal my heart. Right. Is that the place you, you're describing you were yes. in? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because nothing had made sense to me up until that point. I didn't understand anything that I had experienced as a child and the dynamics in the family, which, you know, everyone has family dynamics. But I thought my family dynamics were my fault. I didn't understand how that could be because out in the world, you know, I was a friendly person and I I just didn't understand anything. And then I I understood everything. I wasn't a crazy person. I wasn't someone that, you know, it just, everything made sense. And that was so important. I, I kind of lost 30 years and it took about 30 years to find, you know, myself again. It was my heart because really, ultimately, that's where all that grief sits. And as adoptees, we we have, you know, that grief just sits in there until it's unleashed. And uh, it's different for everybody how that feels and happens and but it's in there I believe yeah I think so too and you know I had an opportunity to listen to your episode on who am I really with the host Damon Davis and even though Mm -hmm. we had you and I had talked and you had shared quite a bit with me already I learned so much from that episode it was really great I loved your laughter too at times I just I was like, she's just so cool to be in the same space with. I know that what I did learn, I guess, more in depth, was the relationship you had with your adoptive mom. Like you say, it was very difficult. And when you say 30 years were kind of wasted in a sense of not knowing what was really going on, that makes me sad. And I'm I'm glad you've had the opportunity for 30 years to really move in the direction of healing. I uh, have taken yoga before. I always think of that as one of my spiritual paths. And so would you share like other spiritual paths that have been very helpful to you? Sure. And thanks. Yeah. uh, Let's see. So I had been raised in a faith. I was raised Jewish and I was a Hebrew school and Sunday school teacher before I figured out I was adopted. I had always loved to sing and pray, and I always loved that connection with spirit, God, energy, however you, you know, whatever way you relate to that place. So I went, well, after the earthquakes, I had to really sort of, there was a lot to deal with there, but I went deeply into yoga and kirtan I really loved. I did as much kirtan as I could, and that singing really is so beautiful. It really clears out your your soul. (laughs) And let's see, what else did I do? I studied with Jean Houston. I did her mystery school, which 
I had always wanted to work with her. I had heard her interviewed on New Dimensions a long time before that. And so I went to her mystery school. I ended up studying and learning from Stan Groff. I learned from uh, Irvin Laszlo. I learned from, I met Ram Dass and studied his work. Angelus Arian, I learned the Tarot from her. I went into Buddhism. I learned a lot about Tibetan Buddhism and did a lot of meditation practices and study because Judaism at that point, after my brain deconstructed and got put back together, Judaism was too, it just, it didn't contain my spiritual relationship you know it was too small for my brain and buddhism i really learned a lot there and it was big enough the space was big enough to hold what i had seen and been through so those are some of the things i did i remember attending a buddhist camp for a little while like learning some of the different beliefs and one that really stuck with me was don't leave a person, if you can't make them better, don't leave them like right where they are. Do you know the quote or the what's behind that message? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I'll say it one more time. So if, if, if you, you can't, can't leave someone person, better, yeah. mm-hmm. then don't like, don't make them worse. Like leave them right where they are. You just never want to make, the situation worse. I just remember, however, I have to look it up, but it just stuck with me as um, a powerful teaching. Like I have a lot of respect for for Buddhism. Yeah. Well, and you can't really always help everyone. And um, really the basic message would be, I think that, you know, things are as they are. You really can't, you can't fix everything. You can't help everyone. And, you know, doing no harm is an essential tenant. Um, doing no harm. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's <laughs> it. Yes. I know when I first heard that and I would hear it many, many times, I said, that's something very powerful right there for me to remember. Yeah. All of us. Do no harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, mm. So it's how a big thing. it is, <laughs> I I agree. So we are in a pandemic, and how has it affected your lifestyle? So I work remotely, and that was very lucky that my job wasn't at risk. Even though in the beginning we weren't sure how things were going to go, so. And I had two dogs. They both have passed last uh, few months back. And so I was out walking on the beaches with them and out and about. And uh, I didn't mind being alone at all, Uh, you know, other than seeing what was happening globally. That was really hard to watch. And I felt awful about that. And So after just doing what we could locally for neighbors, whoever needed what, 
I really pulled in and took the opportunity. I thought of it as a retreat. That's how I think I, you know, dealt with it. So I did a deep dive. I found your podcast and Damon's podcast. And I I wanted to learn more about adoption because really I didn't know very much at all. And the adoptive voices, you know, I had never ever been around other adoptees as a group. And so I really I wanted to learn more about that and I painted and um, so I used it as a retreat and I liked that. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. I too felt like, oh, wow, I, this is all right. Like I felt the same way you did about it just being very horrific for a lot of people. And I know quite a few family and friends who died of COVID. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been tragic on that level. And I want to go back just a little bit, and and I'm a dog person, Mm -hmm. and so I am just sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Diva. Diva's my my doggy. She's a sweetheart, and so I just want to say I'm I'm sorry. I know how hard that is to have lost Duke and Gemma, right? Oh, yeah, Duke and Gemma. Yeah, they were really, really great, great dogs. Yeah, I, I've had dogs all my life and certainly have experienced their transitions, which has never been easy. Yeah, they were of good, ripe old age, so it wasn't, I mean, I knew dogs don't live forever. And, you know, that was an interesting thing, being adopted in my adopted family. We weren't allowed to have animals, and I'm a huge animal person. And when I found my birth mother, you know, she was out. Somebody would walk by and she'd be like, oh, there goes so-and-so. And she'd say the animal's name. And she was feeding stray cats in the streets and <laughs> cats in the middle of her kitchen. She was a complete animal person. And I laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting, right? That mural wing is more than physical, like stuff that you just enjoy that birth family members also enjoy that adoptive families there's no connection with that yeah i experienced that in reunion as well oh people are people yeah (laughs) i've been really leaning into this question about how the pandemic has affected one's Mm -hmm. life and like you i i'm a loner and Mm -hmm. I consider myself introspective and also introverted. I'm not shy, but I'm definitely an introvert. And I can be alone for days, you know, like, so the pandemic for me kind of landed the same way. And the the other reason I like this question is because a lot of people had to pivot and really ask those deep questions. What do they want to do now? What's possible And so it led me to walking on a trail every morning and spending more time outdoors. I'm looking for the place that has outdoor dining, outdoor this, you know, like I don't really want to be inside with large groups anymore. Right. Yeah. As tragic as it has been on some levels, it has deepened my appreciation for the lifestyle I I did have. Because like you, I was kind of just at home. 
mm-hmm. and like to enjoy being at home. So, yeah. Well, isn't that the crux of all life? You know, whatever does arise, you have to meet it. You know, I think uh, Pema Chodron says you have to lean into it. You have to lean into whatever happens. And so that's what I did. Sounds like that's what you did. And you find the little gems there when you do that instead of fighting the current. You really do. And I, yeah. and I think I'm better connected with the adoption community than I've ever been because of the Zoom, because of all the resources that are available, the podcast, the... Right. Yeah, it's just been an opportunity to meet more people, more adoptees. Yeah, so... You're such an introvert, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I've discovered... I've discovered that I have only so much energy. So like you and I talked last week about the Enneagram, and I told you that I'm a five. And I've learned that as a five, I have so much energy. And once it's spent and I'll feel it, I got to go and be alone. Yeah, yeah, I'm really in tune with that. And when I learned that about my personalities, I couldn't put words to it, but I I would be mm-hmm. at an event and it'd be like, it's time for me to go. Like my energy was yeah. all gone. Yeah. <laughs> it, gave, it gave you permission to be who you are. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much so. So being connected to the adoption community, what's been the most rewarding thing about it? Oh, boy. It just fills my heart with joy. I really, I lucked out there because so as I learned that I had been adopted and went through all that, I really was on my own and I had to just find ways to understand the meaning of what I was going through. And I had to find ways to relate to my situation. And so I really did that on my own and I live in a smaller community and the adopted people I knew, you know, were really children of people who adopted. So I would see that with a different lens. And But I didn't have a community at all. And I didn't know there was one. So it's just, like you mentioned, I joined up with the Adoptee Voices, the last cohort and writing group. And, oh, I just was amazed to sit in that space with others who have been through what we've been through you know i've heard it said before they're just you don't need to catch anybody up you know <laughs> right. and it's such a particular feeling so it's really oh i just highly recommend anything adoptee voices puts out it's it's really a great group and really well facilitated and lots of space to just be So for me, I just, I really, really have benefited greatly. Uh, My heart just feels so, I I hang, you know, when we get off the Zoom, I put on some music and kind of dance, you know, I'm like, wow, that was so good. (laughs) (laughs) I have a little dance party in the house. Oh, I bet that's special. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's a big compliment. I'm sure Sarah will be pleased to know that's how you feel. And I do agree she's created something very special. And Oh, yeah. 
she's amazing. She's so thoughtful and insightful and everyone everyone who's involved, Alice Stevens and really everybody is so remarkable and so talented and so just doing the work. Wow. Yeah, they and they are very knowledgeable. I know that workshop, the writing workshop that you attended, I just was blown away. I was like, Sarah could do this by herself. Like she she knows exactly what's going on in that space, you know? Yeah, I um I'm really appreciative for Adoptive Voices and, and quite honored that she asked me to co-facilitate. I had no idea March of 2021 what I was really signing up for and that it would be just such an amazing experience because every last writer in the group, each cohort is so talented and willing to be vulnerable and share. And we all benefit from that. Like it's it's just been, it's been, I call it, very healing for me because I, I do believe that storytelling is quite healing for the listener as well as the storyteller so and you know I, I was I've been in radio for a long time and I've interviewed a lot of people and the talent that is in these groups <laughs> is through the roof <laughs> right I mean it's through the roof <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. my. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, someone will share. And I'm really left speechless. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just amazed at the thoughtfulness and the talent. It's a really, it's a really something special. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm glad you got involved. It's so great for you to do that. And I'm glad that it's been supportive to you on your journey too, because so, you, you're, yeah. yeah. So rewarding and such meaningful work, you know, like to me, that's a happy life, a purposeful, meaningful right. An enjoyable, rewarding life is a happy one. So to be a part of it, I'm just so thankful. And I've met so where, so many people who have said yes. Where to, are you at? I want to ask you, where are you at with the adoption and your journey? Where are you at at this stage, having known about it and done searches? And where are you at now? So, I yeah, I'm in reunion with both sides and... At this point, because that all started in 2010, the the searching, and then the reunion in 2012 with my maternal side and with DNA 2017 with my paternal side. And I think from that time to this, and I'm going to say from 2010 till now, I am now like processing the emotional part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting with the emotional part. For example... Mm-hmm. I think I was all in my head um, before, you know, let's, let's just get the facts down. Let's see who's who and that kind of thing and not really sitting with feelings. So for example, I was thinking, I have been unpacking this for several months now. The fact that if my adoptive parents could have conceived children, I wouldn't be, be a part of their family. Right. And what does that feel like in my body? Oh, yeah, I've been sitting with that because it doesn't feel mm-hmm. so good. Mm. Yeah. And then just other aspects of my life, you know, as an adoptee, just what does it feel like? Because 
recently, and I think we were talking about Paul Sunderland's video, YouTube video. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but I've watched oh, it like, yeah, I did. did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, watched it four times, okay? Uh, <laughs> I watched it four times because there's so much in that. I highly mm-hmm. recommend everyone, every adoptee, check that out because adoption mm-hmm. and addiction is what he's talking about. And when he said that the body remembers, but you can't necessarily recall, that just mm-hmm. hit me. You're like, like hit that. <laughs> I'm telling you, that hit me like, what? That's your body talking to you. Yeah. Like, hey, right. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I want to sit with emotions. And, you know, I had a career in law enforcement for 27 years, which it was a perfect opportunity to reinforce not sitting with your emotions, right? I've been learning that in therapy now. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was perfect. It's perfect for that career. And so I I wasn't sitting in emotions, mine or anybody else's. I was, we got to get this job done. We got to solve this case. Well, I'm retired now and it doesn't serve me to be that way anymore. It's not helpful to me if I want to be healthy. So did I answer your question? I'm sitting yeah. with emotions and yeah, I wasn't no, doing I mean, that I mean, before. Because it's such a lifelong, I mean, that's the one thing that I found out that it's a lifelong journey, no matter where you're at there's always something that comes up about it. It's always side by side with you in your life. And so it is interesting to me to know what's going on for you. And Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm okay glad, with I'm it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm okay with that. And sometimes I, I get very emotional about that because to me, to know that I wouldn't be a ghost and if two people could have conceived like, that makes me sad. Yeah. And it makes me sad that if decisions could have been done different on my birth mother's side, my maternal side, it would have been. Like, years later, when they started really thinking of the gravity of that decision of relinquishment, they would have made a different choice. You know, like, but it's so big. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah, it's deep. You yeah. just... Yeah, you uncover and really not being a ghost and probably isn't what's underneath there. There's something underneath that you're uncovering, you know, layer by layer about just your situation. You know, it's really hard to to think about what if that always is a rabbit hole on Mm -hmm. some level. And who Um, would I be if I remained Bonnie Upshaw, you said my birth name when we first got on the phone. It just felt so good. <laughs> Thank you Hi, again Bonnie for Upshaw. that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I think you'd be who you are. I mean, that's that's one of the things I came to. And I think we are who we are and our lives are our lives. And so, yeah, you could wish you were, you know, a movie star or not that I want to be a movie star. I don't, but you know, you could wish for all sorts of things, but what's true is you are where you are and you are who you are. So I bet you would have been a hot detective anyway. (laughs) I'm not so sure. I Uh, don't know. In your fantasy world, what would you have been? Do you think? Hmm. 
I think I would have been an artist. I think I would have been. That's really my first love. I love writing. Mm -hmm. I love drawing. And I know, and I want to talk a little bit. I want to value your time, but I really want to talk about the fact that you're a painter. I just think that's great. Yeah, I would have been in the arts for sure. Like writing, I could see writing plays and anything in the art world. Like really Mm -hmm. any and everything. I, I just love the art world. I just pretty much know I wouldn't be in law enforcement. Both backgrounds in my family is just, no, that's not what you're going to do. (laughs) 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 That's not what you're going to do. Like, we don't really like the police like that, you know. I I was was just keeping quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because I didn't either. Like, I didn't like the police either. And how that all unfolded, that I would become a part of something that, I didn't necessarily like mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's just it's funny but I came to learn that there's so many ways like I like helping people because I started off in nursing when I was in undergrad and I knew I wanted a like a helping profession if I was mm-hmm. gonna go to work for real for real and mm-hmm. it just kind of evolved that oh, okay I'm in this policing because this is a an avenue to help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angelus Arian has a, wrote a really good book, The Second Half of Life. Have you ever seen that book? No, I don't think so. so it's really good because you have the opportunity now to be an artist and you are being an artist. Your podcast is a piece of art and you are a writer. You wrote a book. <laughs> so you're doing those things. So you are those things now even. Yeah. Thank you. I see it that way too. And it's so rewarding. You know, this second half of my life, I consider I'm in like the fall of my life and it's good to be in this space I had a great career, but I'm glad to be away from it. I'm not interested in anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I th- I think it's fitting to be a part of the adoption community. Yeah, like I'm... Well, you, you are still being a detective. You ask questions <laughs> of your guests and you're digging. I just don't have to put anybody in prison, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go to court and testify. Yeah. You're, you're, you're putting people in adoptee prison. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're setting them free, actually. From I feel prison. like I'm setting people free. Yeah. yeah that feels better. Free. Yeah. Help me. I'm in adoptee jail. <laughs> I can't get out. <laughs> I can't make my bail. Yeah. <laughs> I love to paint too. I I had, I might have become an artist. I did become an artist, but yeah. I loved art, and uh, I also thought I could. I wanted to maybe be a marine biologist or a doctor. Uh, I thought I could communicate with dolphins and animals, and I can really, and mm-hmm. uh, or a doctor. I don't think my parents thought I was smart enough to do either of those things, but uh, I did end up painting. So that's been pretty good. Where are your paintings available? Locally, I would show, we have art nights. And so I was pretty regularly showing before the pandemic hit. And I had a website that's gone down for the moment, but I, 
on Facebook. I think you can see some of my things. Oh, good. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. So, like, people will come over to the house, and I have a lot of my paintings up on the walls here in my one-room studio, and um, they end up walking out the door with people. They're like, oh, I need that painting. And so... <laughs> That's how it's going now. Oh, that's cool. I know the ones you showed me, they're beautiful. Well, I'm working on a commission now, too. And oh, good. You know, someone, yeah, and um, trying to do a good job. And yeah. I just enjoy color and I enjoy the time. I enjoy that time that painting creates. You know, you go into this space and it's so, it's just such a great space. Everything's possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I just have a couple more questions. And one of them is, I believe I've had several late discovery adoptees as guests. And I think you're probably one of just a handful who have known and processed it for 30 years now. And so what guidance would you give? to an adoptee who may be listening and just learned through DNA tests or maybe on their own, like you did, mm -hmm. um, that they mm -hmm. were in fact adopted and they're well into adulthood. What guidance would you have for them? Mm. Well. Not that you haven't shared so much already about yeah. what worked for you, but I'm always wondering well, about that. Yeah. I think it's important to... Um, to feel all of the feelings and put your seatbelt on and take it slow and easy because it is a long process and it's a lot of, it's so many things all wrapped in one in addition to just trying to be a human being and live a life. It's a, it's a heavy backpack maybe that's a good way to look at it. You've got a heavy backpack and you have a mountain to climb and you don't just do that without water or nourishment or in the heat of the day, you have to be careful with yourself and everyone's journey is so different, but being really careful and tender with yourself, which isn't easy to do. It, there are so many feelings, but I would say, Prepare like you're going on a big hike because I think that's kind of how it feels. Yeah. And, you know, support, having friends and support that you need during those times is really important. And what would you add to that? Anything? Well, I like how you're throwing these questions back at me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not a late discovery, but... The first thing that pops in my head, if I were, and when I think of the um, LDA community, trust is the word that comes to my mind. I, I remember one mm. guest said that she couldn't even trust the people she could trust. And it's, yeah. yeah, it just it, like I still get emotional when I think of what she said. And so I would think it would be really important to find at least one person that you could start to build the trust that has been just shaken, the, the foundation of trust. 
that's been shaken in, in, a, in relationships. I know therapy is probably the first thing I think of, but everyone can't necessarily do that right away mm -hmm. or if at all, because it can be very expensive. And yet it is through therapy that you can start to rebuild trust. Like that's the thing that comes, that you have to deal with that issue of trust, trusting and learn how to maybe do it again if, if you mm -hmm. were even able to do it a hundred percent before, but that seems to be the big thing that LDA struggle with, would you say? Well, it's certainly, I think trust is broken in an LDA situation and, but you know, what is trust anyway? At the end of the day, you have to trust yourself first. So I do think that is a big healing. You do have to address that it's a pretty big thread that's cut, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the trust is, I don't know what that is even. I, I, I don't know what that is really. But, yeah, I think that's a big one. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we can wrap it up. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you... <laughs> That you want to, you want to say? Because <laughs> I think we could go on and on and on. I know. Last week I was like, "Wow, this is so easy just to, to go from one thing to the next," and we just were laughing, yeah. and it was just so so good. So. Well, I really appreciate you, uh, your podcast, and all the adoptee podcasts, and all the all the adoptees working on behalf of all the adoptees. I, my heart genuinely is so grateful and appreciative so nice work thank you yes and there wouldn't be any podcasts if adoptees or members of the constellation weren't saying yes to a conversation so thank you so much for for doing this and i do have one last question i know you you're working on publishing your first book right I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited close. for you. Oh, thank you. Anything you want to say on that? Well, I hope maybe by the fall that will be published. I've been working on it a long time. I kept really a lot of, you know, I wrote through the whole process. It took six years to find my birth mother, and uh, that was before DNA testing and whatnot and I, I kept a lot of notes and um, I transcribed them onto a computer at one point and now I've just been an edit 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 <laughs> and now I think I'm I'm ready to let it out there so thank you for asking and I you know it's really a story of the journey toward finding yourself and being being in the world and trusting yourself so oh there's trust mm -hmm. yeah yeah well very good i'm excited for you and i do believe <laughs> there's a, an adoptee movement taking place right now i'm glad we're a part of it in the sense of publishing memoirs and speaking up as a adult adopted people 
And it's important. It's important on so many levels. Adoptive parents may start to listen more that adoptees do grow up. And <laughs> and what was our experience? What does it yeah. feel like to us? Right. right. It really is a moment. I really thank you for including me. And it is a moment because the two it's like oil and water i mean the two are so different ends of spectrum in the experience so mm -hmm. and and the same too i mean adopted parents probably feel some of the same you know when they have an adopted child that wants to find their biological families you know that probably feels like an abandonment of sorts so the two have so much in common as well so so it's a good thing that adoptees are uh, speaking out. It really is. It is. It really, yeah. really is. And and also something that's important to me on the podcast is that people hear that we're, we're more than adoptees. That's just a part of who we are. Like when we are able to share the work we're doing um, that may not necessarily be in the adoption community, you know, like you're yeah. painting and yeah. And um, the different things that that are make us who we are, right? Yeah. So we're we're, we're people too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're people. Oh, this has been a joy. Thank you so much. We're people. Oh, thank you. It's my great honor. Danielle perfectly labeled for me how I feel about hosting this podcast and recognizing the contributions other adoptees are making in the community. By publicly sharing our stories, we all create an opportunity to be set free from any adoption land prison. She has a way of making me smile, laugh, reflect, and better understand being an adopted person. I feel like I could call her in the middle of the night and share what's going on, and she would hold space for me. Danielle's lived experience post-learning she is an adoptee is an example of her doing the work to better reconcile all those years before she knew. Danielle, I thank you for having a conversation with me. Your words inspire me to continue being introspective. Each time we chat, I can tell that the work toward healing for adoptees is likely a never-ending journey. And like you, I'm up for the challenge. Lastly, I look forward to the publication of your memoir and adding it to my beautiful collection of books written by adoptees. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit jenniferdianeghoston.com. Thank you for being here, and please check out my website for other episodes. Once upon a time in adopteeland.com.